Hey, Scott here with Grace Bible Church. Before we get into this message, I just wanted to thank you for streaming this sermon. We pray that each week you are challenged by who God is and what he has done for you. Now, this is never meant to be a substitute for you to be an active member of a community of faith. If you live in the Holidaysburg area, or if you're in town for any reason, we encourage you to gather with us on Sunday mornings for our word and worship. You can learn more about what God is doing through our church body on our website, gbclive.org. If you haven't already, I'd invite you to turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, going to pick it up in verse 18. John chapter 13 and verse 18. While I'm doing that, I don't want to fail to greet the people online. We're always happy to have the online audience, and we're so thankful that you're joining with us this morning. John chapter 13, pick it up at verse 18. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, He who receives whomever I send receives me. He who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then, leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered into him, and then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. For these four Sundays leading up and surrounding Easter Sunday, uh, this series is about the last trials and triumphs of Jesus. Now, obviously, we're talking about Jesus' earthly ministry. Jesus Christ is always triumphant. And, and one day he's coming back in power and great glory. And so even through death, Jesus Christ is triumphant through his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. So it's impossible to cover everything in that last week, even the last few day hours of Jesus in, in four messages. So we're, we're looking at it this way. Today we're looking at the betrayal. Lord willing, next Sunday we'll look at the crucifixion. And then, of course, on Easter Sunday we'll look at the resurrection And then, Lord willing, the Sunday after that, we will look at the ascension. And so today, we're talking about the betrayal. Have you ever had a close friend, a relative, maybe a spouse, turn against you? Somebody you loved, somebody you did things with, somebody maybe even in your own family, um, turn against you. And you have that sense of betrayal. When Paul introduces the subject of the Lord's Supper, he says that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. I often think of that whenever I take the Lord's Supper. It was on the very night that Jesus was betrayed by Judas Iscariot that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. 
This is very important. All four Gospels record Judas' betrayal, which tells us this is something significant that happened. Whenever you see the different lists of the apostles in the Gospels, Judas Iscariot is always listed last. The only list he's not included in is the one in Acts 1, because by then uh, Judas has committed suicide and is no longer part of the twelve. And Judas Iscariot was the only one of the 12 disciples who was not a true disciple. And we're going to see that here this morning. What is sad is that his name actually means praise of the Lord, meaning Jehovah, or Jehovah leads. He was probably raised by godly parents. At least they named him uh, these godly names. And um, what happened to Judas? And so what's ironic is that nobody was more led by Satan than Judas was. In John 6, Jesus had done some pretty difficult teaching. And because of that, a number of the nominal disciples, just disciples in name only, had left Jesus. John tells us that Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. What's interesting, Judas did not leave at that time. He continued along with the 12 disciples. Now today, even in our language some 2,000 years later, if you call somebody a Judas, even secular people know what you, what you mean. That's a betrayer. That's somebody who's turned against you. That's a traitor. And so Judas's name has become synonymous with betrayal. He is the most tragic person in all of human history. And there have been some pretty tragic lives that have ended in tragic ways, but Judas, of course, is the most tragic of all. He's often identified in Scripture as Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him, Mark 3:19, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor, Luke chapter 6, verse 16. There are 40 verses in the New Testament that reference the betrayal of Judas Iscariot betraying the Lord Jesus Christ. So this was a significant event. What in the world happened to Judas Iscariot? I believe that Judas joined the apostles for all the wrong reasons, for all the wrong reasons. Um, he must have. I mean, when you see Judas's calling, he's introduced with the calling of the 12. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, talking about Jesus, when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now, the names of the 12 apostles were these, then he names them, and then lastly, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Remember, the Gospels were written after the events. So his specific call is not recorded in the Scriptures but what was said of the 12 also included Judas. He was definitely one of the 12 disciples of the Lord Jesus. He's called Judas Iscariot. That distinguishes him from another Judas who's part of the 12 apostles, but who was a faithful disciple. It basically is referring to his hometown of Kerioth in southern Judea, according to Joshua 15. This means that it's very likely that Judas was the only uh, disciple from Judea, meaning that southern part of Israel. Uh, very likely, the other disciples were all from Galilee in the north. And the Judean Jews kind of looked down on the Galilean Jews as being sort of less Jewish. 
or less spiritual than they were. One wonders if Judas had that, you know, superior attitude. I believe that Judas joined the twelve for position and for riches. His understanding of Messiah, that when he would show up, he would establish the kingdom. He would throw off the Romans, and then Judas would be a part of the new government. And I think that's why Judas signed up. But as time went on, as Jesus began to teach and began to openly talk about his coming betrayal, his coming, you know, being arrested and, and being crucified, uh, Jesus' agenda changed in Judas's mind. And so now Judas realized, I have joined for, you know, the wrong group. Jesus is not heading the way I think that he should. I believe Judas's besetting sin was covetousness, covetousness. Now, we all have besetting sins. Even once we're saved, the Bible says in Hebrews that we are to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And so that's a besetting sin. Now, we all sin even after we're saved. But if you're honest, every one of us have one particular area that we struggle with more than another. And I think Judas's besetting sin was covetousness. And I look here in John 13 at the Last Supper because this is where Judas's character really comes out. And I think that Judas very likely was sitting at the table at the Last Supper, actually reclining as we know. And I think he had the 30 pieces of silver in his pocket, in his robe somewhere, at the very table with the Lord Jesus Christ and the other disciples. John read from Matthew chapter 26 when he went to the chief priest and said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. Months before in Bethany at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, I'm sorry, it wasn't at their home. It was a home of the man named Simon. But uh, Jesus, Mary had come in, Mary Bethany had come in and anointed the, the feet and head of Jesus with this costly oil of spikenard. And though the passage John read says that the disciples were indignant, and that's certainly true, but John's gospel gives us a little more insight. It was Judas who started criticizing first, and I think he drew the other disciples into his criticism it says, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box. And he used to take what was put in it. Judas was pilfering from the little bit of funds that Jesus and the apostles had. This shows us that Judas, in his heart, was not a true apostle. He was not a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was not a true disciple. Judas had never been saved. He estimated the cost of the oil that Mary of Bethany broke and put on Jesus at 300 denarii, which we say when we preach on that is equivalent to a year's wage of a common laborer or of a soldier. Yet Judas sold out his Savior for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. Judas's heart was taken over by greed and covetousness. What horrible things people will do for money. What horrible things people will do for money.
1 Timothy 6, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith and their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And Judas is the poster boy for that verse. It's not money that's the root of all evil. It's the love of money. It's the coveting of money and the things that money can buy. It can easily consume a person's soul. You do realize, don't you, that um, someday somebody else is going to live in your house. I've said this before. Someday somebody else is going to be wearing your jewelry. They're going to be using some of your stuff. And the rest of it is headed for the garbage dump. You know, if we are living just for material things, we're going to be very disappointed one day. Naked we came to this world and naked we will go. Early on, one of my jobs, I, w I was a custodian at the Altoona Hospital and I was to clean the morgue. And I can tell you, naked you come into this world and naked you go out. And you take nothing with you. Sadly, Judas sold his soul for the paltry sum of 30 pieces of silver. Alfred Edersheim believes that Judas became a thief in the course of time and the progress of disappointment. What is amazing is Judas would have heard Jesus talk about money and stuff and things and material possessions. He heard this from the very mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus spoke about money more than any other subject. He would have heard the Lord Jesus in Matthew 16 say, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And what could a person give in exchange for his soul? Don't sell your soul for pleasure or for money or for the things that money can buy. Judas literally sold his soul. He would have heard Jesus give that incredible parable about the rich man who just had to build bigger barns. I stumbled over that in the early service, and I said, say that seven times real fast, build bigger barns. And so that's the parable of the rich man. Instead of distributing his wealth, he kept it all for himself. And Jesus, in the parable, God says to him, you fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Judas heard that. He heard that from the very lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. The prophet Amos condemned those in Israel because they sell the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of sandals, Amos 6.1. Judas would have heard all these warnings from Jesus. He would have heard Jesus say in Luke 12.15, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Now, our culture is a very materialistic culture. And our culture teaches us, and if you see the ads on TV or on the Internet or wherever, it's all about you're going to be defined by what you own. You're going to be defined by the house you live in, by the car you drive, by the clothes that you wear. That is not true at all. We should be defined by the fact that we're a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. That should be what defines me. God is not against us having good things. But when we make that the sole purpose and focus of our life. We're in real danger. Judas most certainly did what Herbert Lockyer says. In his mind, interpreted the words and deeds of Christ through the medium of his own anticipation. That's a powerful statement. 
we better be careful. We can hear the truth and we can, we can read the Bible, but if we interpret it with our own prejudice or what we think, you know, oh, God's going to promise me good things and he's going he's to make everything in my life great and it's very easy for us to misapply Scripture through our own mindset. Well, I read this passage here because Jesus uncovered Judas's betrayal at the Last Supper. Verse 18, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that he who does comes to pass that you may believe that I am he. Now Jesus was quoting from Psalm 41 verse 9. And this is a Psalm of David. And this was a psalm where David was betrayed by Ahithophel, who was his counselor. More than his counselor, he was his, one of his best friends. And when Absalom rebelled against David, Ahithophel went with Absalom. And the word now here in the passage shows that this prediction was coming to a very soon fulfillment. In fact, it was already partly fulfilled as Judas sat at the table. And so Jesus didn't want Judas's betrayal to shake the disciples' faith. They would find out about it in the garden, but for now, he's about to institute the Lord's Supper. And so, in a way, he kept the disciples from merely understanding that it was Judas. Now, don't think that just because this was a preordained thing that would happen, that this fulfilled scripture. Um, don't think, number one, that Judas wasn't responsible. He was. And don't think that Jesus was not struck to the heart by this betrayal. It says in verse 21, when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. That word troubled indicates severe mental and spiritual turmoil. Jesus had a true humanity. But not only in his humanity, Jesus as God, he, he, has, he has emotions and, and, and he, he suffered from the fact that, that here's Judas, one of the 12 who had seen all the miracles and sat at his feet and had even ministered with the other disciples, would be one who would betray him. Chuck Swindoll says, I believe the Lord genuinely grieved the loss of Judas. And so the impact on the disciples was predictable. The gospel of Mark adds, and they began to be sorrowful and say to him one by one, is it I? And another said, is it I? Judas was so duplicitous, so hypocritical, that at this point, none of the disciples even suspected that it was Judas. And you can imagine the impact on the disciples. They're all thinking, oh, Lord, I would never betray you, but, Lord, would, is it me? They, they understood how, how frail they were. But Jesus suffered over Judas's betrayal because Jesus knew the fate that awaited Judas. In Matthew 26... He says, the Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, 
who was betraying him answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? He said to him, you have said it. Jesus was not surprised by Judas's betrayal. He knew who would betray him. Can you imagine Judas? Probably he's got the 30 pieces of silver in his robe, and, and Jesus announces, one of you will be, betray me. I mean, how did that impact him? How, do, how does Jesus know? He should have known by then that Jesus, you know, knew everything. And how, what was he thinking when, when he looked into the eyes of Jesus and said, Lord, is it I, knowing it was him? And so Jesus will later call him the son of perdition, John 17, 12. What's that mean? That means somebody worthy of damnation, eternal damnation. You know, our culture throws that word around, damn, all the time. The word damn and the word hell. You can't hardly watch anything anymore. Um, regular TV, doesn't matter. Sports, you know. I heard Mike Krzyzewski use that, one of those terms at the halftime of the game last night. Well, this is a blank of a game. And people just say it casually. Damnation and hell are nothing to be trivial about. They are real. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you are headed to where Judas is. Now, again, Judas was responsible for his betrayal. This was a premeditated, conscious, pre-planned action. This was not a spur-of-the-moment emotional thing that some liberals want to say, well, Judas, you know, they kind of tried to defend him. No, Judas planned this out. When they're paid by the, by the priests, it says in Luke 22, so he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. He promised? He promised these uh, wicked priests that he would find an opportunity to betray Jesus. That's who he promised. Can you see how debased Judas's mind is by this time? He sinned with his eyes wide open. He was plotting. He was planning. I believe Judas's sin of covetousness had opened himself up to Satan's temptations. I firmly believe that. We always say, don't, don't, don't think sin is trivial. Don't think any sin is trivial. That's why we need to daily, if we're saved, deal with our sin and confess it to the Lord. Because sin has a way of taking root and, and, and growing. And I think that's what happened partly to Judas. It says in John 13, 2, supper being ended, the devil already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. At this point, Satan is tempting Judas. And he had put it in his heart. Now, Satan is not omnipresent, but he's very powerful. And I suspect as a spiritual being, he can get from one place to another very quickly. But we know that Satan has, we don't even know how many demons, fallen angels at his beck and call. Have you ever noticed how sometimes you're not even thinking of something and something comes into your mind? Something wicked? Something ungodly? Satan's real. And temptation is very real. You know, right before this 
Jesus had done something, which I often am amazed at this. He washed the disciples' feet. Now, again, they're not sitting at a table like, you know, Da Vinci's painting. That's totally inaccurate. We've told you this many times. They're, they're sitting on couches and a very low table, and their feet are out back behind them because feet are dirty and want to keep them as far away from the food as you can. And Jesus, in a very loving, humble gesture, teaching them a lesson on servantship, washed all the disciples' feet, including Judas. And I think he had the 30 pieces of silver in his robe, or at least he had it somewhere we could get to it. What, what must have he thought? What would have gone through his heart and his mind as Jesus performed this action? Lockyer says, Judas had come to the supper with a guilty secret in his heart and with a bribe in his hand. What would lead him to, to sell out his Savior for the price of a slave? I think Judas is pilfering a few coins from the bag. Probably he thought, that's no big deal. They're probably not even going to miss it. Certainly Jesus knew about it, but the other disciples didn't know about it. But you know, little sins can very often become big sins. And if we allow a certain area of our life and we think or make excuses or rationalize, we need to be very, very careful. You see, I think, I think Judas always felt a little bit out of place. I think probably there were many moments where he was uncomfortable in the midst of the disciples and Jesus. I wonder what he thought when Jesus was teaching about covetousness and material things and many other things Jesus taught. Can I ask you if you feel out of place among us here this morning? I don't mean socially. I mean spiritually. I realize if you're new and you come into a new church, it's, you know, unset I get that. I'm not talking about that. I'm more so talking about people who regularly come, but you're just quite not with it. You don't, the songs don't bless you. The getting together and fellowshipping and you don't see much connection with the word of God. You, this is sort of a religious duty for you to come to church. Or maybe you're coming to please somebody. Or some of you guys come because you have to. That's the way it was in my house. Do you feel out of place? Spiritually? You should do something about that. See, the problem with Judas was he became content with mere association with Jesus and the disciples. But there was no real connection. There was no real belonging. And I think it's very easy in a church like ours to be very satisfied with association, but no real connection. Which is one of the reasons why we emphasize membership like we do. Because part of the door into membership is sitting down with, the, with us and we want to hear your testimony, and we want to make sure that you know the Lord is your Savior. We should not be shocked when sinful men and women are found within the church. We're often shocked, but we shouldn't be. 
we must beware because thoughts become actions, actions become habit, habit becomes character, and character will shape your eternity. Be careful what sins you make excuses for. We must all do that. Well, Jesus is so incredible, he is so amazing that he gave to Judas one final loving gesture. Verse 23, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. We believe this is John. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. In other words, who's, who's the betrayer? Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Now, this seems odd in our Western mindset. But in the Eastern mindset, understanding the way they sat at the table, the way they leaned on, it's very easy to understand how John could just sort of lean back. He must have been, he must have been next to Jesus. And what we're going to see in a moment, Judas must have been within hand's breadth of Jesus, whether he was across or whether he was beside him, we don't know for sure. Maybe Peter was across the table, and they probably wasn't that far away, and he's, he's motioning to John, you know, find out, find out who it is. And in verse 26, Jesus answered, It is he to whom I give a piece of bread when I've dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. This is the second significant action before he institutes the Lord's Supper. The first one was washing the disciples' feet. And now he reaches out and gives Judas, which at that particular meal, this gesture was a sign of honor. And so he personally looks into Judas's eyes and he hands Judas this gesture of honor. And I wonder what Judas thought at that moment. Now, it's very easy for us to um, sit here and criticize Judas. We can kind of make Judas a scapegoat for us. But how many, how many blessings have we received from the hand of God that we trivialize, that we take credit for? How many blessings has God's hand given us and we treat it almost with contempt. We, we dishonor him in other ways. So anytime we read a passage like this, we've got to be really careful. Because it's so easy to feel so good about ourselves when we look at Judas. And if we have the Holy Spirit, we're not going to betray Jesus, but... We can be like Peter at times and deny him through our actions or even our words. Well, here is Jesus reaching out to Judas. Judas could have fallen at Jesus' feet, confessed his sin, and asked for forgiveness. And what do you think Jesus would have done? He would have forgiven him. But Judas didn't do that. He would not repent of his sin and verse 27 is very significant now after after now after the piece of bread satan entered him 
Now, before, earlier, Satan had put this into his heart, but he'd already, he's already halfway there because he's already met with the chief priest. He's already got the money. He could have repented, taken the money back, and suffered the consequences because he'd say, now I'm a true disciple of Jesus, but he didn't do that. And so now Satan has entered into his heart. He's given to evil so much that divine mercy fell on deaf ears. Now, often we talk about when we die, there's no second opportunity after death. We need to make a, understand that Jesus is our Lord and Savior in this life. There's no other, no opportunity. If I go into eternity as, as a sinner and my sins are not covered by the blood of Christ, then God has no choice because of his justice. He's a just God to treat me that way. But if I've trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, I've understood the gospel. This is what, what Easter is all about. The Christ came. He lived the perfect life we cannot live. He died on the cross, and he paid the penalty for my sin and your sin. And he was buried, but he rose again, showing that God accepted this perfect sacrifice for sin. But it doesn't mean that we're just automatically saved. It means we have to come to him confessing the fact that we are a sinner and trusting only in his shed blood and death, burial, resurrection to be saved. And so here Judas, he so hardened his heart. He took this piece of bread, which actually signified his own betrayal, and looked into the loving eyes of Jesus, and then went out to do the deed. He had now become possessed by Satan, and there was no going back. And I've said this before, there are times I've truly believed that people can go to a certain point where they are deaf to divine mercy, they, they are so given to wickedness, and God continues to reach out to them in love, but they are, their ears are deaf to divine mercy. Well, Judas confirmed, Jesus confirmed Judas in his apostasy. Verse 27, then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. He wasn't going to institute the Last Supper, or I'm sorry, he wasn't going to institute the Lord's Supper with Judas in the room because Jesus knew Satan had entered into him. And he wasn't going to do that with Satan literally in the room in, in Judas. And so there was nothing left for Judas than for Jesus to hand him over to what he had chosen for himself. God has given you a measure of freedom. You can come here and hear the gospel and hear the gospel, and you can decide, and you can choose. It's not for me. I, I'm going to go live a secular life. I'm going to go do what I want to do, when I want to do it, with whom I want to do it, and I don't want anybody telling me what to do. It's my life. I'm going to do that, and you can do that. And if you do, in the end, Jesus will turn you over to what you have chosen for yourself. And that's what happened to Judas. Somehow, God kept the uh, 11 from really understanding it was Judas, because verse 28 says, no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. Some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus said to him, buy things that we need for the feast, or, or that he should give them something to the poor. And I believe it wasn't until Judas shows up in the garden. Maybe John had an idea, or maybe Peter, but other than that, when Judas shows up with the soldiers, then they knew who their betrayer was. Verse 30, having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. What a series of events. Jesus washes his feet. 
Jesus announces there's a betrayer. Jesus said, I'm going to identify that betrayer by when I dip the bread uh, and then I'm going to hand it to him. He hands it to, to Judas. Judas says, is it, is it me? And Jesus said, you've said. And then he looks Jesus in the eye and he takes this, which is the sign of the betrayal, and immediately he goes out. And the Bible says it was night. And it wasn't just referring to the darkness outside. I think there's a veiled reference to the darkness in Judas's own heart because he went straight to the Sanhedrin, which shows us that Judas's plan of betrayal was carefully calculated. Jud- John 18, Judas, who had betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. This is in the Garden of Gethsemane. The text says Jesus had often met there with his disciples. He met there for prayer with them, and he met there to get away and to meditate and probably do some teaching there. And so this, in a sense, was a hallowed place. And this makes Judas's betrayal even more evil that he would go to this special place. But you know, Acts says ultimately Judas went to his own place, Acts 125, which means hell itself. Judas shows up with the soldiers and he kisses Jesus. And Luke says, but Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And after the crucifixion, Judas became remorseful, but he wasn't repentant. You know, Peter denied the Lord three times, and later when he meets the resurrected Jesus, he was repentant. You can be remorseful and not repentant. We have to be careful about that. Remorse means I'm, I'm sorry for the mess I made. I'm sorry for my sin. I'm, you know, I'm just kind of sorry. Um, I wish I wouldn't have done that. But repentance is, I've sinned, like David said, Lord, I've sinned against you, and only you have I sinned against. And that's totally different. He tried to take the money back, only to be mocked by the wicked priests. Matthew 27, 5, what is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. What a tragic ending. Hypocrisy, duplicity can be damning to a person's soul. You can sit in here with us. You can look the part. And you can act the part. But are you really one of Jesus' true disciples? Because Judas reveals that Satan is always at work among the people of God. We look at this wicked culture, this ungodly, evil, disgusting culture. And we know Satan is at work out there. We know that. But if you don't think Satan comes to church, then you are spiritually naive. And you don't really understand the scripture. Yes, I realize that where two or three are gathered together, Jesus here in the midst of us, And that's fantastic in that we all are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and we have that wonderful Christian connection. And though Satan is not omnipresent as a spirit being, I'm sure he can move around very quickly. But we do know he has quite a vast army of fallen angels, demons, devils to do his bidding. And so 
don't allow sin to give an open door to Satan. The Bible says don't grieve the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about walking in the Spirit. We're all sinners. We're saved by grace if you know Christ is your Savior, but we still have that fallen nature. And, you know, Satan is always there to tempt us to take advantage. But the Bible says we know how he works. And we need to be aware that when there are attitudes, actions that are unbiblical, we're giving Satan a the Bible says, don't give Satan a foothold. Because that's what happened to Judas. He started out as one of the 12, but he was never a true disciple. He never felt really a part. Is that you this morning? You're just associated with us. But there's that spiritual disconnection. We would love to speak with you. To help you understand what it truly means to be saved, to be a disciple, a follower of the risen and coming back again, Lord Jesus Christ.